no clue. or to watch the women's tournament like do you even know Mm-mm. So, like, think about it. These guys that you're watching in the NBA, you probably know who they are from, like, McDonald's All-American. You watch them play in college, and now you're watching them play in the NBA, right? So you kind of have a connection, and you know that, to your point, you know their story. When do you pick up these female players? When, when did you learn about them, or if you learned about them? Like, where was that platform? y'all well i am back for another episode and y'all are probably starting to see a theme because you know i started this podcast off to educate folks around money and investing but it's investing is probably my second love or at least tied for first you know with marketing and then specifically i mean business and specifically with business marketing and selling stuff right i'm i'm i I love that probably just as much because you know part of a, a good investment plans understanding the business and the businesses that do well over time are ones that can sell stuff and so i have another guest who is a expert on uh, marketing has a background in sports marketing and also uh, is into consulting Um, so her name is nicole smith thanks nicole for hanging out today hey thanks for having me so how'd you so let's let's backtrack for a second because we talked a little bit um uh, you know, before we got on air about your background and where you're from, but go ahead and let everybody else know a little bit about you and, and, and where you're from. Sure. Well, I'm originally from Richmond, California. So that is a city just north of San Francisco, actually northeast of San Francisco. Um, so I'm from the Bay Area, but I got into marketing when I went to college at UCLA. Um, I was very interested in PR and communications got my first job in the music industry doing PR, worked in PR in music and TV for a while before moving into more traditional um, marketing roles at the Walt Disney Company. And Disney is where I really, really started to enjoy, learn about, and love marketing. And, you know, they're some of the biggest marketers in the world. Everybody loves Disney, and that's that's not by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after I left Disney, I got my MBA from the University of Michigan, again, specializing in marketing before I transitioned into the sports world. So there I led marketing teams for the San Diego Padres, which is an MLB team. Then I moved over to NASCAR to help them figure out how they could reach different audiences from that core audience that they have today. And so did work there, um, launching their first ever national youth program, which was really cool. And it was great to be a part of that little piece of NASCAR history before moving to Dallas where I live now and being a part of a different kind of history. So um, I helped launch the WNBA team, the Dallas Wings here in Dallas. And I was there for two seasons before starting my own business. And so that brings me here with you today. Nice. Okay. Okay. It's like a fun background. A lot we can get into. My first question on that that I have is, what's the difference between uh, PR and every other aspect of marketing? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, these days marketing can mean so many things. You know, people say I'm a marketer and it's very multifaceted and multidisciplinary. Um, in public relations or PR, what you're doing is essentially, well, at least from where my roles were, we wanted to make sure our clients, whether they were music artists or maybe we were doing it on behalf of a TV show like I did at Fox Broadcasting, we want to make sure that as many people as possible know about and are talking, speaking positively about our clients. So we work with the media primarily to play stories, um, give them information, suggest our clients for events, red carpets, presenters at award shows, um, make sure that people know that we have a new show or a new album coming out, get them the advanced copy so that they can read it. And so we're also like managing the timeline of that. You know, a lot of times you see things come out just in time for that movie that you love, but that's a lot of work. It might've started, you know, six months prior. And we're working on that to make sure that everyone, everything hits at the right place in the right time. So you get super excited about that new thing that's coming out. So, so if I understand it correctly, a big part of being good at PR is really the relationships, right? Because you can't get any of that stuff done without the right relationships to coordinate it the right way. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the people who are best at public relations are the people with the relationships because you got to know who to talk to. And those people get a lot of opportunities. They get a lot of people who are like, I want space in your magazine or I want time on your podcast, right? And so how do you pick? And if you have great relationships, it does help you get in front of people and it can help make those decisions a little bit easier. Okay. Okay. And, and, and PR, what, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Actually, you kind of you kind of answered a question that I already had because before coming into here and, and getting clear on what PR meant and just being able to communicate that back to you, I was always thinking I was like, man, PR is changing, you know, in the world. But I'm like, really, is not because relationship relationships don't change. How you build the relationships change. Meaning, and you tell me what you think about this. I, I see a wide opportunity um, opening up in PR because you know if you want to sell something or if you want to get something out there, you can skip a lot of the middle people, you know, the middle traditional relationships and you can build, you know, there's unlimited new relationships like podcasters, bloggers, influencers that are uh, essential in selling stuff. So do you see people jumping on that new opportunity or are people slow or not realizing it or what, you know, is that something that you do? Uh yeah, no, I definitely see it. So I think there's a couple elements to this. So the internet and technology in general has lowered the barrier of entry into a number of things in business in general, right? Like in um, a few moments, you can have technically a business up and running. Um, so I think that technology has changed a lot. And the PR side of the house is definitely given more options. So you have more places to go and reach people. But the flip side to that is people have more places to go and be reached, right? So you, you can, you know, you're spread a little bit thinner and things that might have worked before, you have to change it up. And, but what's really cool is technology, particularly social media, gives you a very targeted audience. So if I know I want to reach young men between, you know, 25 and 30 who enjoy comic books, I can find them and I can find them quite easily. Now, I still have to work on my message and I have to figure out, like, do I have a product that they want? And am I positioning and communicating this in a way that will resonate with them? But as far as finding people, it changes it up. 
It also allows someone with no connections to start to build an audience. But you still have to, the same way that, you know, PR folks do, you still have to find the audience, right? So I think here's the fundamental difference. A PR person goes to somebody who already has the audience and leverages that audience that exists. When you're starting out on your own, you've got to build your audience. Now, it does take time and it takes a lot of effort, but it's absolutely possible. Any one of us can start today and with the right tools and, you know, consistency, you can have an audience built in no time. Right. And, and, and going deeper in that. So, so specifically, do, do you see a lot of PR? Like, let me give like a specific example. Can you hear my, um, I might, the audience might be hearing my three-year-old in the background. Uh, <laughs> throwing a temper tantrum because he stayed home from school because he's sick. So I might, uh, hold on, give me one second. Bring him up. This is a brief interlude while I grab Bubba, make sure he's feeling better and situated, and hand him off to his mom. Time to get back to the show. It's okay. I was like, that's how I feel when I'm sick too. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I forgot where, where I was asking a question. PR, oh yeah, so going back to it. So specifically let me give it like an example so let's say and i maybe maybe they're here but i don't see them but let's let's say you have a dallas-based business that wants to reach um you know 18 to 32 year olds that are interested that are interested in um sports right and so and so and so from that yeah you can advertise and find it but you can also find all the podcasters um, and all the uh, people with 10,000 to 100,000 followers on Instagram. And, you know, like you can compile all of that kind of, you can find all the groups, the Facebook groups that you might be a part of and just become the person that helps businesses um, find influencers in that space. Uh, Do you see that? Yeah, I see people doing that all the time. I see people doing it for themselves. Um, you'll even see now, you know, I think most of us who are on social media at any point during the day see this proliferation of courses, right? Everybody's got a digital course. Um, and there's like even digital courses on how to be your own publicist, how to do your own public relations, how to build those relationships. It's absolutely possible. You know, you can go, like you said, you got a, you have a podcast or you have something that you want to put out. You can reach out to all the different podcasters that speak on your topic or that are adjacent to your topic. You can go through, I mean, um, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, we use Instagram as the example, everything that's in your bio um, is searchable. And, you know, obviously hashtags are searchable. So you can just pick a couple really great search terms that are relevant to what you do and just search for those, follow those accounts. And look, you don't even have to have a person even say anything. You can comment on those accounts. Um, Maybe we don't want to be like those people who will make great logos and illustrations for you, (laughs) but you can get involved in conversations and spread the word that way too. It's changed the way grassroots organic outreach is done for sure. Okay. Okay. Way more Um, efficient than putting flyers on cars maybe, right? (laughs) We used to do those for step shows back in college. Hey, you know what? And and people still do it. And that's one thing I will say is that, you know, sometimes we can rely too much on technology. Technology is great. It's efficient. It's measurable. But don't underestimate the power of just getting out and talking to people, you know, shaking a hand, kissing a baby. It it doesn't hurt. 
<laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, we didn't have social media in college, so that's what, actually, you know, let me not lie. Facebook was out, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't like it is now. Yeah. It is now. I wish we had it because we'd have made more money in parties. So, so, so I well, yes, you probably would have made a lot more money in parties, but I'm kind of glad that it didn't exist when I was like in high school and college because I feel like you know I got to just be a college student. I just got to be a high schooler without having to worry about you know a mass broadcast of whatever mistakes I was making. <laughs> that, that, that is that is definitely true. That is definitely yeah. True. So let's talk about your time in sports marketing. How, you know, what huh? what'd you um what'd you do for the different sports organizations and what'd you learn doing that? Oh my gosh, there's so much learning. So like I said, well, I, I can actually go back. I was gonna say my first full-time job was with the San Diego Padres baseball team in San Diego, but you know, I took a unpaid um internship with the Detroit Pistons while I was still at Michigan, just to be in the environment and to learn. And while, you know, financially, it would have been nice if, you know, I could have gone and done a paid job. That role was super important because it put me in an environment and it actually signaled to a lot of people that I was really serious about what I was doing. Because as a person who has much work experience as I had, I was in a graduate program, you know, that internship wasn't something where, you know, people might say, oh, that's not to the caliber of what you might usually do. But for me, it was more important to get the information, the learning and the contacts. So I'm super glad that I did that. Um, it did help me transition into leading the marketing team for the San Diego Padres. Um, I was hired as a director of marketing. And within like three months, um, because of some restructuring, I was leading the entire team. So mm -hmm. That was great. And it taught me, it's my first time like managing an entire team. So I learned a lot about leadership there. Um, I learned a lot about fan engagement and, and the inner workings of a professional sports team, which is very different from any other business that I had seen. Um, then after the Padres moving over to NASCAR and there I was um, director and senior director of growth segment, NASCAR wanted to broaden its reach. It felt like, you know, a typical um, fan or person that they had been marketing to was, you know, they had that well in hand and they were like, how can we grow the sport? It's an amazing, exciting, fun sport and we want more people to be able to enjoy it. And so they assembled a team of people to help them do that. And so it was, you know, a privilege to be a part of that. I mean, NASCAR is one of the biggest sports in the world. Um, well, at least auto racing is and NASCAR is a huge part of that. And it was interesting for me because it took me outside of my comfort zone. NASCAR is not something that if you would have asked me, I would have seen myself being a part of or right. even working for, right? right. Um, and still today when people look at me and, they, and I say I worked at NASCAR, they're like, really? I'm like, oh, yeah, that NASCAR, me, I did it. Um, but it's a, it was a great opportunity to stretch myself. And what I found out was um, it was actually one of my favorite places to work. I, I really enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the work. Um, and we did some really important things there. Um, but, you know, Florida wasn't everything that I wanted in life. So I moved here to Texas and, and took the role here in Dallas where, I mean, this was really unique. Being able to be on the front end of establishing a team in a sports town like Dallas is huge. And the learnings from that experience were also huge. And in a different way, I learned a lot about leadership and the impact of leadership and the impact of, you know, decision-making and planning and how important all of those things are. Um, 
and just managing perceptions and all of that. So, and then especially this is my first foray into women's sports. So that was different as well. So being on the inside of how female sports or sports played by women um, are, are perceived just differently than sports that are played by men. And how do we, and how do we adjust to that? How do we market that? So that brought its own challenges, but they were all good. I grew every single time. Yeah, so 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 if I understand marketing for uh, sports teams, right? The 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 big thing the organization's trying to do is they're trying to sell more tickets to get more people in, so they can sell more merchandise and food and all that kind of stuff. For for the most part, right? Is that kind of the basic? The basic. Yeah, thing? I mean, at the at the end of the day, that's what you want. At the end of the day, all these folks are trying to make money, and that's how sports teams make their money through ticket sales sponsorships and merchandise or merchandise or some type of licensed product sales. Um, so yes, at the end of the day, you want to do that. And so one of the biggest things, and I'll take NASCAR out of it because it was a little bit different, but one of the biggest things when you're working at the team level is that you're supporting the sales functions, wherever mm -hmm. they may be, sponsorship sales, ticket sales, but then also marketing drives sales as well. So usually individual ticket sales come through direct marketing channels or, um, you know, things of that nature or promotions um, usually set up and develop promote a promotional schedule. So like when you get that free bobblehead, that's usually some collaboration with marketing. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also the brand, right? So all of these sports teams are brands and we have to develop the brand and we have to develop the positioning and how people perceive the brand and how people are talking about the brand. Um, and then there's also the layer of communications in there, right? Because we not only have like the PR kind of stuff that we talked about, but you've also got sports information and sports communications. And that sometimes does, sometimes doesn't um, sit in the marketing area, but it can. So it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's all interesting. It's much more rigorous than I think people think. Um, people mm -hmm. tend to think of sports marketing as being fun. And it is. It's fun. It's exciting. Um, it's one of my favorite topics, but it is, it's, it's got a different level of difficulty and maybe some other some other forms of marketing like you said especially especially for women's sports and, and the reason why i'm asking is because you know i'm you know i'm fascinated with sports marketing too specific specific specifically because um there are so many more options out there and so my follow-up question on that is going to be like what what do you think it's going to take to get and, and we'll do a hard one you know women's basketball to a level Right. And let me let me let me frame the conversation up in the right way. Right. Because, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a minority, but I'm not a, a female women, um, a female woman sports player, which they got a super hard uphill battle. And so when they talk, you know, when people are talking about athlete, you know, women athletes getting paid less than men athletes, I'm like, well, yeah, because the numbers aren't there. Right. And, and it is not fair, but the numbers aren't there. So my deal is thinking about, like, how do we get the numbers up there for women's sports you know what what do you, what do you think needs to be done wow well yeah you're giving the softball questions today huh <laughs> um, okay. so. i get i get i'm giving you some hard ones but these, these are questions like, wow okay let me readjust in my chair and dig into this one well i mean as you could well imagine this isn't something that is going to be solved simply right because right. it is rooted in something deeper than sports, right? Mm -hmm. It's rooted in attitudes, perceptions, 
um, about women versus men in the sports arena in general. And I mean, we could just say women versus men, gender, expectations, roles, perception that go way deeper than before someone picks up a bat, a ball, or runs around a track, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what people are trained, ingrained, and pay to see. So one thing that I think is challenging, and I hope to see change, is a lot of times the burden for promoting sports played by women um, or promoting, you know, participation or viewership or whatnot is like laid at the feet of the women playing the sport, mm. right? And it's really not, I mean, while they, you know, most of the women that I know, in fact, all of them that play sports, they're happy to talk about it. They're happy to promote it. They want to share it with the world. But I think it becomes a collective responsibility, right? Like we all have to, you know, support women who play sports as much as we support men who play sports. Um, the idea that, oh, the men's game is more exciting. I, I don't subscribe to that. And I would say that most of those people have never been to a professional women's basketball game because those women are scrappy. Those women actually play defense. I mean, there's that. Those women, you know, they're, it's a very exciting, fast-paced game. Um, but again, people are bringing societal perceptions and background into what they're doing. You're correct on one point, though, that the economics don't always support the pay argument. And that's true. Um, if you, you know, were to create spreadsheets, you'd be like, okay. But, you know, working conditions, um, how things are treated and covered and televised, um, mm -hmm. that doesn't really have that much to do with economics now, does it? So, you know, the inches in the newspaper or the inches on the blog or the time on, you know, programming, those are things that can be changed easily without huge impacts to economics. Um, but we don't see that happening. So there are, like I said, a lot, a lot of, a lot of conversations that need to go into this. I think a lot of it is like same for any business, right? In financial services, right? We see women are underrepresented, underrepresented at high levels of financial services. We see women underrepresented in high levels of um, business in general, tech especially. And I think it's also true that sometimes women are not represented as well at the high level of sports decision-making as well, league levels, right? And I'm not just talking about like who runs the WNBA. I'm talking about like in the NBA, right? Like would there mm -hmm. ever be a female NBA commissioner? Would that change things? I don't know, but you know, we have to think about it like that. And I think the more women who have played sports that are included in the conversations, the better. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it can be helpful to kind of change the way that we perceive and see things. Now, is it going to change overnight? No, probably not. Right, right. Um, but I think there are some, like, things that we can start to do at a societal level that will eventually impact how, you know, women who play sports are, are treated. And I'm very intentional about that women who play sports versus, like, women's sports because basketball is basketball, right? It just so happens that the WNBA is basketball with women playing, whereas the NBA is basketball with men playing. And I think there's some very, like, just simple, fundamental ways we talk about and think about these things that can help bring about the change that, you know, we're talking about, bring about more equality. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sorry I'm sitting on this because it's, you know, like the investor in the investor in me, you know, always looks at opportunities like this because I'm like, like, for example, I'm a comic book nerd, right? And yeah. uh, 
And so probably even, and I consider myself a pretty, what do you call it? I consider myself a pretty progressive person, but I'm, I'm human, I'm flawed. And the thing I like to do is recognize it and then say, okay, let me, you know, so for example, five years ago when Superwoman came out, you know, uh, I was watching the CW superheroes and I was like, ah, I'm not watching Superwoman, right? I'm not just, I'm just not watching. <laughs> not you know, into it. You know, I'm just, just not into, you know, I, I wasn't, I'm not, I didn't grow up on women's superheroes. I know Wonder Woman, she's, you know, she's cool, but now I'm not going to do this, right? So then I actually like, right. but I was like, you know what? This is just ignorant. Let me watch it. Like, and it was actually like legit, like it was good, right? And she was part yeah. of the, she was part of the um, universe. And so then, you know, so now, you know, I went, you know, I watched Captain Marvel and watch, um, I'm watching a series called Hannah on um, Amazon Prime. It's really good about this 15 year old girl who just be whooping dudes like two times her size. <laughs> you know, I but, see that. I see but, that. But, but like you said, I, I, I found, I found that over that time, the way that I view women superheroes uh, has completely changed. I'm like, oh yeah, like a woman can like whoop a man, you know, uh, right. with the right training. Like it's, but, but, but it took kind of intentional thought process around it. And I, and like you said, I think it's going to take that in sports because, you know, as a guy, I grew up, you know, I grew up like in, and, and I think the NBA for me is different because I think the NBA, the WNBA one intentional thing I think they maybe will do and they may be doing it is kind of tell stories around like the female players, you know, because if we mm-hmm. can follow up with the players as people, you know, then we want to watch them play. But that's what happened to me as a guy. I was like, man, I fell in love with the guys as players. And, and, um, and so I'm like, and like you said, it's a long-term process, but I'm what my main point in saying it is I'm super optimistic because if we can do it in superheroes, right. Um, we can right. definitely, women's and women's sports it's just going to take intentional work yeah and I agree with you and I think that's a great I think that's a great parallel so like think about it probably you know and I don't know about you but I know me when I grew up Wonder Woman I used to watch Wonder Woman on TV it was reruns though it wasn't like first runs I'm not that old but um you know when her storylines were about the things that people who enjoy comic books like or who like action movies or superhero movies when the storyline is about that, we get into it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because what you really enjoy are the stories and the action. So if you can put a woman in a great story with great action, you'll be into that superhero likely, right? And give them great superpowers or what have you. But when that superhero story is weak, like she's not out there, you know, kicking butt, she's not out there, you know, whatever, or you have a... um super a female superhero character like Lois Lane and I mean no no disrespect to Lois but you know she kind of moved the story forward but she wasn't up to anything and she wasn't a superhero right she was she was a normal woman um you're not gonna watch a whole movie on Lois Lane right so I think when you know we're given the narrative when we're allowed to have the narrative when we're allowed to be introduced early on it makes a difference I mean think about it right now with March Madness do you even know what channels to watch to watch the women's final four? I have no clue. Or to watch the women's tournament. Like, do you even know? Mm-mm. So like, think about it. These guys that you're watching in the NBA, you probably know who they are from like McDonald's all American. You watch them play in college and now you're watching them play in the NBA. Right. So you kind of have a connection and you know that to your point, you know, their story. When do you pick up these female players? <laughs> 
When, when did you learn about them? Or if you learned about them, like where was that platform? Right. And so that's what I mean by like fundamental things early in the pipeline to help like build the sport. Right, right. No, I mean, you're, yeah. you're 100%. And the beauty of capitalism is I think somebody's having this conversation somewhere because, you know, same way, same way somebody in Marvel is like, hey, we need to have a black, we need to do the black superhero right. And we need to do the female right. superhero right. And they reap the financial reward. You know, Black Panther and Captain Marvel were like the two highest grossing movies for Marvel of all time, you know, of yeah. any movie of all time. Because it was an undervalued asset, you know, but they did it right. They put a black, uh, you know, director on it. You know, like they didn't just say, hey, yeah, we're going to do it. No, you got to put for the female, you got to put a woman in charge, you know, um, and let her build her team. And you got to put a black dude in charge. That's good. Not just any black person or any woman, like somebody who's good, right. you know, and let them build their team. And so I'm optimistic yeah. because it's, it's, it's I'm optimistic too. I mean, I'm optimistic too. And here's the thing, like, I don't expect every woman to like to watch sports. Just like I don't expect every man to like to watch sports. Right. And so I think, you know, what's important is that it's a collective, um, it's a collective effort by men, by women that all enjoy sport to just promote sport right? Mm-hmm. You love basketball, let's just promote basketball. If you like football, let's promote football, but let's be inclusive, right? And not automatically assume that because a woman is involved or not involved, that it's somehow better or not better. And I think that we'll all be better for it. I mean, look, you keep, we, we're seeing more women being hired as football coaches. I love that. I think mm-hmm. that's amazing. Tampa Bay Bucks, I think, hired two female assistant coaches for this upcoming season. And I think that's fantastic. And I think all those things are a step in the right direction because what it starts to do is bring women into the conversation in a completely different way. It engages men with female coaches in a different way. And I think we can start to change those things that we've been talking about with simple steps like that. And so we'll see what their experiences are once they get into those organizations, but I hope that they're incredibly positive and that they can be used as a step to even more. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I, I enjoy it. Let's let's talk about burnout because we talked a little bit about it before too. And so yeah. we were talking about how a lot of, you know, people go, 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 go. Um and and they get and they get burnt out. And the funny part about when we we're talking about it, and I didn't mention this when we were talking, but a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks, specifically my mother in law, is always talking about, Philip, you gotta stop. You're gonna burn out. You're gonna burn out. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And I mean, yeah. like we're, we're in year, how long is it? How long have I been married? Almost 12 years. We're in year 12 and, uh, and I haven't really burned out. And I got an idea on why I haven't burned out, but I want to hear your thoughts around burnout and how to avoid it. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting topic for me because, you know, all that great work that I just talked about <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, jobs and people, I actually did burn out. Um, and it's part of the reason why when I left my most recent job. I didn't go and then seek out the next great sport opportunity. And my career moved really quickly. I mean, once I left Disney, you know, I went from director to senior director to VP to CMO, all in a matter of, I think it was like five years, right? So I was working hard and getting success and accomplishing a lot. But in that, what I realized was I was neglecting 
a lot of really important things about me, about my health, about, you know, my well-being, not just my physical health, but my mental health and my financial health. And it can happen and you don't even realize it because if you would have asked me, I would have said, I'm fine. You know, I had a personal trainer. I eat well. Like, don't mind me. I'm just going to, you know, send emails at 3 a.m. I'm just going to get up at 6 a.m. and not go to bed till after midnight. I'm going to take on all this stress, not say no to enough things, travel and all that. And then what I think were telltale signs of the burnout that I ignored were things like, I, you know, something's going wrong or I'm stressed, so I'm just going to throw money at the problem. Or I finally have some downtime. Um, I, I don't know. I'm going to go and I'm going to spend a bunch of money and buy a whole bunch of things that I like um, just to relieve stress. I'm stressed out. Let me go shopping. Um, I'm stressed out. Let me go eat, uh, you know, have a couple – couple glasses of wine, which is nothing wrong with a couple glasses of wine if you want them, but not as, you know, I'm stressed, let me take the edge off. So that's why when I left my last job, one of the things I needed to do was take time to, you know, refuel and get back to me. Um, But I also developed a platform where I like help and coach high achieving professionals on how to deal with burnout and how to deal with when you know something's not right. Um, but you feel like you can't stop. You feel like you don't have time. You know, people will say, well, take a day off. And you say things like, well, I can't. I can't take a day. I can't take half a day. You know, those are signs that you're on your way to burnout. But you absolutely are. Or, you know, (laughs) things are going wrong and you're just like, I don't have time to research. I don't have time to think about this. Just, I'll just pay somebody to fix it you probably are on your way to burnout, right? Because you don't even have the brain power to sit down and be strategic about what you're doing or think through a decision. You just want to throw money at it. And so you'll end up paying for that later, right? And, you know, money not well spent, time not well spent, and you're probably super tired. Like you wake up tired, you go to bed tired. Those are some other signs too. So um, I've made it my, my mission to try to help people get past that um, learn that you are worth investing in your, your, you are your biggest investment and make sure that you're taking care of that investment in a very intentional way. So that's a lot of what I do with my company now. And I love that work. I think it's so important. I didn't realize how important it was until I had to take a moment to stop. But once you do that, like there's amazing benefits and rewards to it. No, that's, that's awesome. And you kind of, you know, walk through my thoughts around that as well because I've always you know and to say I've never been burnt out it doesn't mean that I haven't felt myself you know getting there but I, I don't like and I don't know where this came from but I've had a I've had the I've had an I have an inability to do stuff that I don't want to do if that makes any sense you know I mean I'm not you know I'm a husband I'm a father I gotta do things yeah. that I don't want to do all the time but I want to be a husband and I want to be a father right so that's different what I'm saying is I, I give you like a specific example. So I, I, you know, I sold products for a company, you know, hundred percent commission for eight years, really good at it. But when I went into it, I knew that the goal was to own my own company, even though we quote unquote are a 1099 employee, but I, I, I'd achieved all the pinnacles of what I, um, what you should do in that role. Like, you know how you say, this is the plan and you get into it and then you're doing 
um, you've done everything and then you're still there. Right. And so mm -hmm. my, my body starts to, and I really believe that we'll look back 50 years and realize that the body tells you a lot of things if you pay attention to it, but like my energy, my, you know, um, everything started going away. I was, I was just like, man, I hate coming into this place. And then I, and I, and I, and I was like, one day I was like, you know what? I don't do something I don't want to do. And I, and I need to go start my own company because I'm just, I'm no longer happy here. So I literally, and, and the finance, to financially do that, like it's all the guys that I still came up with are still at that company because once you get to a level to where we were at financially, like you just don't leave. That's. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to walk away from it. Yeah, but I, but I knew myself. I'm like, look, this is, this is not my path. So I left. Right. So that was kind of the first time. And then, and then when I left, I went to um, a different place. Uh, that you know, I was going to start my own my own company, but a guy wanted me to partner with him. So we said, all right, two years, and then we'll figure out if this makes sense, and I'll go on my own. Um, and then right around the two year mark, same thing started happening. You know, just you know, I was like, you know what? I know the answer. It's not here. Time to roll, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so for me, you know, I've always thought, you know, I I think I think burnout is less of a, you know, how many hours you work, which is you know how my mother-in-law tries to phrase it to me because I love what I do, right? I'm I'm doing what I want to do, and so I could work all day and not even think about it. Um, right. But 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 it, so I think burnout more comes when you feel out of control, right? When you're doing things that you don't want to do, and you kind of hit on nail, like you got to do it. And I'm like, I'm like I've I've learned to listen to my body and just say, hey, this doesn't feel right. I'm way too stressed. This is not normal. It's time to do something else. You know, at at the expense of finances and everything around me which is like tough and I don't know how I got that way but I just I just learned that hey I gotta be happy but you know what that's such an important lesson <clears throat> excuse me and I I mean I give you a ton of credit for listening to your body and it's like that feeling of something's not right or that feeling of this just can't be it right I think most people have had a job or had an experience where like yeah this is this there's, this isn't it. Like something doesn't feel right. And so, you know, you did the right thing because we have to honor our feelings and we have to honor ourselves. Um, and sometimes we find ourselves running someone else's race, right? Because maybe at some point a decision was made or you were taught that, you know, achieving this level of income, having this type of job, having this type of job security is what will give you fulfillment and happiness. And a lot of times that's not the case. And you hit on something really important, like you totally nailed it. Fulfillment, right? When you're doing something and your, your, what you feel is important or the outcomes that you want to have or the impact you want to have on the world is not being fulfilled through that work, that does make the work feel harder. You will be in your flow if what you want to see in the world, the change you want to create in the world, the impact you want to create in the world is aligned with the organization you're working for and the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that, you know, we have to examine. So, you know, I may love marketing and I can talk about marketing all day and get all geeky about it. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But if I'm geeking out on marketing, but I'm taking my skills and talents and I'm working for a company that is not producing results that I care about or is not producing outcomes in the world that I support, I'm not going to feel good about my work and it's going to feel that much harder. And it will lead to that either me disconnecting from the work 
and being like, eh, I'm just here for the paycheck mm-hmm. or, you know, some level of fatigue and burnout. It's true. And, and, how, and how, what, what, what are the reasons you pe- see people put up with it? Is it fear? Is it, you know, yes. <laughs> I think, I think at the root of it, it is all fear, right? But fear comes in different, fear comes in different um, costumes, so to speak, or forms. So it could be fear of, you know, well, I have to have a job. I'm not going to have enough money. So kind of a scarcity mindset. Well, you know, the awesome thing about money is that it regenerates. You can find it. You can find a way to make money. But, you know, that doesn't mean like quit your job today. It just means start to think about and take time to think about what it is you really want. And is it really the job, right? Because if you're not clear on what will fulfill you and what will make you happy, you're just going to take that to the next job because you can run, but wherever you run, you go with you. So make sure you're not the problem, right? Um, the other half of that is, the other half of that is, you know, people don't want to leave because they've amassed a certain prestige or title and they're afraid of giving it away. And so they've connected their identity to what they do, not who they are. And for me, that's huge. Helping people understand that who you are is not defined by what you do. You are still a kind, wonderful, loving, amazing person, hopefully, um, outside of your job. And so sometimes our identities get really enmeshed in what we do. And that can be a hard thing to do, to step away from how you think you've been defined for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through that for sure, with stepping away from the sports industry for a little while. Um, and there's like a number of things, you know, people have responsibilities, you know, my kids, my, my family. And this is one I debunk sometimes too, because the research has shown that when you're unhappy, while you think that you're just taking one for the team so that, you know, your family can be taken care of. The truth of the matter is, is that the people who are hurt the most are your family. Like they know you're unhappy. They feel your unhappiness. And so you have to think about those effects, not just the financial effects or the stability effects on your family. So those are just like a few of the ways that or reasons why people sometimes don't want to make that move or don't want to make change. And let's be honest, like so I, I'm, you talked about change you've made in your life. I've talked about change I've made in mine. Change is hard. Mm-hmm. It's Every super time. hard. It is Every not time. easy. It's hard and it's scary and sometimes it seems unnecessary and and we can avoid it when we can but I always say change doesn't happen to you it'll happen for you um it's all in your mindset and like I'm biased because I am a coach but I say get somebody to help you it's okay to ask for help it's okay to say hey I'm going through a transition and I need somebody to kind of help me through this transition um you know whoever that is for you whether that's a yeah oh say that again no go ahead I'm sorry no, I was just saying, get whoever that is for you, whether that's, you know, if you're in church, if that's your pastor, if that's, if you're in therapy, if that's your therapist, or if you're not into the therapy thing or don't need that deep of a counsel, a coach, um, somebody, somebody who can help you like navigate transitions. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important because as, as, as I was thinking about what I did in every transition, you know, a lot of folk, you know, like you said, having somebody to talk to, having somebody to give you a process, I think about it. And one one of the exercises that I did every single time that was that was useful, and, and you probably have your clients do this. I learned it from um, Tim Ferriss' book, Four Hour Workweek, but it was mm-hmm. it was more exercise where you go through because most of the time we're we're more afraid of 
the, uh, you know, we're, we're more afraid of being afraid than like what we're actually afraid of, if that makes any sense. So you, so you go through yeah. the exercise of, all right, what is the worst case scenario that can happen? Like, and you like write it out, right? So each time I was like, well, yeah. I was like, hey, I'll lose, you know, I'll lose my house. Okay, then, then is that the worst that can happen to you? Then you, all right, if I lose my house, I might can lose my wife, you know? Okay, you know, you, you go through like things that are, right. the, you know, worse and then you go, okay, if that were to happen, you know, what's the alternative? You know, well, being unhappy and I'll, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Being unhappy, which, right. which will wreck everything else. So you realize, all right, I kind of have to do this. Then, then you work backwards into, all right, but what can I do to minimize that risk, right? So you kind of work to the, to the fears and then you say, you know, I can't control, I can't control those, but I do know that net, net, not doing it is worse for everything involved. And then you work backwards into, all right, how do I minimize my risk? And every time I did that, and, and 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 faced hey if i go this route i legitimately can lose my house and my family right which luckily i right. did uh, but i you know I, I thought about it and it was more of a you know i'm you know i'm not big into coaching or you know and i'm or I'm, i am big in coaching but i just mean i don't know technical around that but i know that it was a um therapeutic type exercise to go mm-hmm. through where you face it and you deal with it versus being afraid of it and I'm like, cool, I faced it. I know it's a reality and it's going to suck, but I got to move forward, you know? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I've done that in my life. I think anytime I've taken a risk or made a change before I was, you know, trained in coaching, that was my approach. It's like, okay, so what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, I'm not going to die. So we can take that off the list, um, you know, or any number of things. And like, to your point, asking the question, what will happen if I don't change? You know, that that's sometimes scarier than what will happen if I do change. Um, and for a lot of my clients, what I ask them to do is I ask them to imagine what they want life to be like. So forget what's happening today. Imagine what you want your life to be like and write that down. And it's super important to write it down for a lot of different reasons. But you want to write it down, you know, in, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, what would life look like today? Um, from practical terms and then look at and I think most people will figure out they'll look at that and they'll say well gosh you know I have a lot of those things already what are the things that are missing and of those things which ones can I impact which ones can I change and then start to look at that list and say okay well which ones can I change today which ones can I change this quarter this year next year blah blah blah. and then you start to have this really positive plan for how you can make subtle changes I think a lot of people are worried that like you know, they're going to pull this thread and everything's going to unravel. And that's rarely the case. Rarely the case. Right, right. No, this is good. I want to be respectful of your time. We're about, it's 2.15. I have five mm-hmm. more shorter questions to ask you. Do you have time? You have about sure. 15 minutes or do we need to wrap it up? Yeah, no, sure. I have time. Go ahead. Okay. So these are the last questions that I ask everybody. So if you can go back and talk to 22-year-old Nicole and tell her, <laughs> and tell her anything uh, what would you what would you share with twenty two year old Nicole? Uh, I would tell her to enjoy, to have fun, to you know not take things so seriously, get so upset. <clears throat> A rule that I've recently heard, you know, if it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes. I would tell her that. Mm, that's a good one. What, yeah. what what companies do you like to spend money with? Meaning, not I'm not saying you like splurge or spend it responsibly. I'm saying like, 
you know, these are companies that you're like, hey, I spend money with them and I'm happy spending money with these companies. Yeah, you know, I, I think as a general statement, I like to spend money with companies who have excellent customer service. Um, if I know that I'm going to get excellent service and I'm going to be treated well, if it's a brick and mortar that you consistently deliver on your promises, those are the companies I like to spend money on. And what are three of them? I'm looking for three specific. Three companies. of them. Oh, three specific. Okay. So, um, I like spending my money at, Ooh, these are really good questions. Well, I, so this is funny because I'm thinking about where I spend my money and then where I really enjoy spending my money. But, um, I like spending my money at Target. Um, okay. I think Target is, you know, I get what I came for. I know what I'm going to get. Service is good, at least at my Target. So, been good. Um, I spend money at Nordstrom. Um, I think they have great customer service, variety, um, great policies that I can get behind. So, they've been good to me. And then third, I do spend a good amount of money with Amazon. Um, they make my life more convenient. And again, service has been great. And I most of the time get my pack packages in two days with Prime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Um, wh where do you get your news? Like, and, and what I mean specific specifically is like, do you get it off social media, on the internet, newsletter, TV, radio? How, how do you get updated on what's um What's going on? What's going on in the world? Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, I've had to really filter how I'm getting my news these days because it was just too much. It was not good for my psyche. So I read um, like online newspapers, so like New York Times, LA Times, like that kind of stuff. So read those things online. Um, I rarely turn in, tune into TV news just because I just feel like the punditry, it's like, blurring the lines between editorial and like and news reporting so i try not to do that um i do have a few blogs that i read just to keep up with pop culture because i think that's important um to know what's going on in the world and then i like to talk to people who i know are knowledgeable in the space and just get different perspectives on things so that's where i get that's how i figure out what's going on in the world and more and more folks are doing that um uh, yeah so, and, and so specific shows, right? So whenever you do get, get a chance to decompress and uh, not think, what do you like to watch? Like some specific shows or movies that you just enjoy? Yeah, I watch a lot of HGTV. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, whatever's on when I turn on HGTV, whether it's Fixer Upper, Flip or Flop, Property Brothers, that kind of stuff. Um, HGTV is my jam. Um, I, I like This Is Us. I believe that's on NBC, right? Mm. Um, and if I'm really, really, and I, you know, well, yeah, and I watch a lot of Netflix. So different movies, documentaries. Netflix actually has really interesting documentaries. Um, I've seen a couple that I really liked. And then, you know, every now and then you come up on a movie that's pretty cool on Netflix too. So any variety. I used to be like appointment, you know, I, I wanted to be like an appointment TV person where I watched the same show, like, you know, Wednesday nights, but I've just completely gotten away from that. Um, I kind of just watch when I have time and it's usually a binge situation. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Part, part of why I ask these questions and I have one more is I'm starting to get the psychology of people, but every, a lot of folks are moving in that direction and I find myself getting impatient. Like I literally just stop watching one series and wait for it to come to um, 
Netflix because they kept, you know, they kept releasing it every week. And I was like, man, this, yep. is, this is ridiculous. I don't have time for this. I just wait. Right. So I did that. So interestingly enough, I, um, I started years ago when Game of Thrones first came out. So I guess was this so like six years ago, binge watching Game of Thrones. I don't like watching it week to week because there's so much to remember and so many little details. I like to pick a day, usually towards like Christmas break. So I know everybody's already finished and I've managed to avoid as many spoilers as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, usually around the holiday break and I sit and I binge a whole season of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I, I have to get into because, that. Every, everybody in the world is on that except for like me and my wife. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, now's a good time. The last season's coming up, but you got a lot of catching up to do because it comes out in two weeks. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I didn't get into that show Hannah I was telling you about and I have Oh right. I gotta finish Black Lightning, so I'm like, ah, we might just wait oh. until we might we might you know, we, Go ahead. Based on your love of comic books and superheroes, I think you'll actually get into you'll get into Game of Thrones. I will just warn you that it is uh, gratuitous in every way possible. But but it I don't know what it is about the show, but it really just captured me, and I've been following it from the beginning. No, I'm definitely gonna check it out. Yeah. L- last question: Top three books that you've read recently, or all, or um, top three books of all time, or three books you've read recently. Um, I'll give you three recent ones because I've been way more intentional about reading. So um, one, Michelle Obama Becoming. Um, I read it the week it came out. Um, Gosh, I wish I would have had that. You want to talk about 22-year-old Nicole. I wish 22-year-old Nicole would have had that book or maybe just 30-year-old Nicole would have had that book Um, because it made me feel much better about my journey knowing someone who I admire like Michelle Obama had gone through a lot of the similar things regarding thoughts about her career and transitions and who she wanted to be and how she wanted to show up in the world. So that one was really cool. Um, a second book, This is Marketing by Seth Godin. And so Seth is a marketing influencer and thought leader, and he is leading the way in what people are calling modern marketing. So a new way, new and fresh ways to think about marketing. And his point of view is that marketing, you know, think of being a, market, a marketer as doing service. What service, how are you serving your customer? How are you making their lives better? And I love, love that perspective. Like that's the perspective I can get behind. Not just how are we making money, but how are we making lives better? So I'm all about that. And then a third one, um, I would say, I'm going to go with Adam Grant Originals. Um, I read that one earlier this year as well, and I really liked it. So it's kind of, um, you know, it's a, it's a level of geekery that maybe not everybody will enjoy, but it's about what are the tangible, measurable things that make people original? Like, why do some people stand out and some people, you know, kind of fall in the middle? And he goes through everything from birth order to how you manage people at work to just how you procrastinate, what you read, and all kinds of things that make people stand out and be original. So I thought that was, um, that was a pretty cool read as well. I, I, I would like that book because I have, I have like a little thought on that too. And I, and I wonder, I wonder if you said it, you might can just help me without, and I don't got to read the book if you just tell me sure. this, this might be the punchline. I think the punchline is everybody who I know who stands out are super comfortable with themselves, flaws and all. You know what I mean? Like some people wish ah. they had, some people wish for talents and skills that they don't have. 
and 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 try to ignore flaws that they do have, you know, versus just saying, nope, like this is me. Like, you know, I, I even say, you know, President Trump to some extent, who I thoroughly dislike. I think the reason why he is is, is such a persuasive person to whatever part of the country he's persuasive to is because like he's just him. Like he's a dick and he yeah. knows he's a dick and he embraces just being a dickhead and like <laughs> uh yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um so there is some there is something to like accepting yourself and and being I think I when you were talking one thing that came to mind immediately was that they do things when they're scared or they do things when, when things aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. So just accepting yourself, not feeling like you have to be this certain thing or you have to be at this certain place, but just doing it anyway. Um, I think that contributes, but you're right. If you can just accept yourself and you're not trying to fix something, you're not trying to fix your flaws. I think that does contribute to being an original. Hmm. I'm going to read the book anyway. It sounds super interesting. <laughs> Check it out. Let when you read it, let me know what you think. Um, we can def we can definitely chat about it. All right. Well, but I have it all tabbed up. I have like tons of little flags all over the place in that book. So. Well, and when and when I say read, I actually mean listen first. So, um, I normally will like listen first and then buy the book if I really want to mark it up. But I'm um. Got I'm it. But I I appreciate your time. Appreciate you hanging 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 out on the podcast. I, I mean, it was real. I didn't even asked 80% of what I thought I would ask when we started, but I think it was Uh-oh. a better conversation. So we, we might have to do it again and then go down some other rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to. Like if you want to come back and talk about more marketing stuff or whatever it might be, just let me know. I'm always up for a good conversation. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you.